0: Last week we looked at God's faithfulness in spite of our failures and as we have been journeying, uh, going along on Abraham's journey of faith, we recognize that it's our journey as well and that journey is a process. The uh, process of sanctification by which we are made to be more and more like Christ is not instant. Uh, We still struggle with sin and our process of sanctification, our journey will continue all of the days we're on earth we're we're going to struggle we all have a propensity for certain to fall for certain weaknesses we have certain temptations that we're more prone to and uh, that's something you need to know about yourself you need to know where you are weak where you're prone to give into temptation and someone else needs to know that an accountability partner someone who will uh, speak into your life and we've got to be careful uh, to never assume when we see sin in the life of another, that that would not happen to us. You know, we live in a culture uh, much like Sodom. We are daily in our culture uh, bombarded with with excessive immorality. And it's very easy when that's around you all the time to lose sensitivity. It's very easy to drop your guard. It's very easy to let impurity invade our homes and our lives. In fact, you might say, well, you know, Pastor, it's it's pretty much in our culture unavoidable um, because of all the filth that's around us. And I would agree with you, but I would have a question for you this morning. If you're walking out of this building to go get in your car and a bird lands in your hair, what are you going to do? Exactly. Just because a bird lands in your hair doesn't mean you have to let it build a nest. Let that sink in. Turn with me to Genesis 21 this morning. At some time or another, we all have been a victim of a broken promise. It may have been unavoidable, it may have been intentional. It may have been uh, innocent, it may have been malicious, but we've all experienced broken promises. It's very common. In fact, it's probably pretty likely you could check with an attorney and it's probably pretty likely that a lot of courtroom dockets are filled um, with cases of breach contracts. And if people don't keep their word when there's a written agreement, how can we expect to trust anyone to keep a promise? In fact, if you know someone uh, whose word is good, who consistently keeps their word uh, in spite of whatever it may cost them, they keep their promises, you know that that person is is quite rare. But there is one on whom we can count. He's made many promises and every promise he has made, he has not broken a single one. In fact, if you were looking for words to describe the character of God, veracity would certainly be one of them. It's a Latin word that simply means adherence to the truth. God is truth. God doesn't speak truth. God doesn't talk about truth. God doesn't share truth. God is truth. That, that's who he is. He cannot lie. Tr- truth is his nature, and he cannot violate his nature, so it is impossible for him to speak an untruth. And throughout Scripture, knowing that God cannot lie, throughout Scripture, knowing everything He claims is true, we know every promise He makes, every promise He's made in Scripture, will come to pass, every single one of them. Now, I don't know if it's possible to really count up all the promises in Scripture. I, I've seen estimates anywhere from three to seven thousand. A man by the name of Herbert Lockyer, a Bible student by the name of Herbert Lockyer, wrote a, bro- a book. The promises of the Bible, he claims to have counted nearly 8,000 promises. I don't know which number is right, somewhere between 50 per book of the Bible or 100 or 100 plus. I don't know which is right, but I do know this. Every promise in Scripture either has or will come true, no question, no doubt about it. It's going to happen. Well, what do we know from the journey of Abraham regarding the promises of God? Well, the first thing is, is God is not in a hurry. You know, we, we live in, in a temporal, limited perspective of time. We, we look at events either on the clock or the calendar. But God is not bound by time. He sees all events at one time. He sees from eternity past through present to eternity future. He sees all that as one. He's not bound at all by time. But because we're bound by time, when we have to wait, it feels like eternity, doesn't it? I don't know if you can remember this far back, I I barely can, but when you were a a five-year-old waiting for Christmas to come was eternity, wasn't it? And now if you're a 60 or 70 or 80-year-old, it's a flash. You know, someone explained to me once, the reason that is when you're five years old waiting for Christmas, that's one-fifth of your life. Now for some of us, that fraction is much, much smaller But we're all waiting on something. We're waiting for a job offer to come through. We're waiting to be able to retire. We're waiting for relief from something. We're waiting for a prodigal uh, to return. We're waiting and and waiting for a prayer to be answered. And, And when we wait, we either wait restlessly or we rest as we wait. How do we rest as we wait? Well, if you've grown deep, in your walk with the Lord and you've seen his faithfulness and you know of his veracity, his adherence to truth, then the waiting is more with anticipation than it is with worry. You don't worry about whether God is gonna come through because you know that he is faithful to his promises you don't fret about what whether or not God will do as he said you you might be a a little bit anxious about when he will do what he has said he will do but you have confidence that he will do what he has said he will do we also learn that not only is God not in a hurry he doesn't forget during the period of waiting God never forgets his promises what he has said he's going to do no matter how far off the fulfillment of that promise will be you can count on the fact that it will happen let, let me take a minute and, and share with you what I believe is one of the greatest promises in the Bible I, I actually share this passage at, at just every graveside that I have to do It's one of the greatest promises and it's, it's a future promise for us one of the greatest promises of Scripture it's from 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 Jesus uh, had, had been crucified, he had been resurrected, he'd been ascended. Sometime after that, this church was planted, and they had heard about Jesus' resurrection, his ascension. They had, they'd been told that he would be coming back for them one day, but it hadn't happened. That promise hadn't been fulfilled. And some within their body had begun to die, and they, they wondered, well, what happens to those who have died, who are not here when he returns, are they not going to get to experience that? And so Paul wrote these words to them. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other, encourage one another with these words. It's the greatest promise there is. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you go through in this life, you can know this, when it's all said and done, if you've already died, you're gonna be resurrected. If you're still alive, you're gonna join those who've been resurrected and together we will meet the Lord in the air and be with him forever. Does anything else matter? It doesn't matter. One of the greatest promises in the word, and it's a future promise, but you can count on the fact that will be fulfilled in the life of every believer. Well, this morning in Genesis 21, there are three pictures or three scenes that we're going to look at, and we're going to begin with the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham 25 years prior. 25 years he waited on God to fulfill this promise we we don't know why God waited so long it was his plan it was his timing it's it's pretty likely from what we've seen journeying through in the life of Abraham it's pretty likely he wasn't ready he had some lessons to learn about faith lessons to learn about walking with God but now God comes and the promise is fulfilled look at chapter 21 look in verses 1 through 7 with me the first picture we're seeing in this chapter Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, I know there are many in this room and some who are watching online, many within our church body who've been praying for years You've been praying for the salvation of a loved one. You've been praying for a friend or family member to become free from addiction. You've been praying for God to move some way in your life and you've been, been praying for years. Like Abraham and Sarah over these 25 years, you may have become weary. You may have uh, begun to have some doubts. You, you may have even decided to make things happen on your own instead of waiting for the Lord. It took 25 years for God to work his purpose in their lives, 25 years for them to be ready for what God was going to do. And 25 years is a long time, isn't it? But what is it compared to eternity? What is it compared to the eternal plan of God? I just want to say this morning, don't give up. Don't lose hope. And if you're restless in, in your waiting, ask God to give you rest. Rest. To help you rest, not to worry, not to be anxious, but to know that God will fulfill what he has promised in his word. What do we see here in, in this first part of chapter 21? Verse 1 says, the Lord visited. That, that's a reminder. That wasn't that he came in person again. That's just a reminder that it's simply the kindness and grace of God that allows a man and a woman to have children. You know, we're not as, as, as in control as we think when it comes to birth and death. We, we like to think that we have children when we want to have children and we're going to die. There's an appointed time that we can decide we're ready to go. No, God is in uh, control. The Lord visited Sarah, the scripture says. That means the Lord made it possible for this child, a promise, to be born. The reason Abraham, one reason Abraham did not have a son until his old age, at the age of 100, was simply that it would be known by all that this child was a blessing from God alone. This child was a product of God's unmerited grace. You remember when we started Abraham's journey, we said that God called Abraham righteous because of his faith. God called Abraham out even before he was righteous, before he had faith. God called Abraham out just as an act of grace. Abraham didn't earn it, he didn't deserve it. It It's an act of grace. And now God has provided this child of promise as an act of grace. And you know, right here in chapter one, you see a picture of our salvation. Just as this child was simply born out of the kindness and grace of God, so also is it true that a man or a woman is born into the kingdom of God, is saved solely as an act of God's kindness and his grace. Just as God brought life from death in the case of Abraham and your life and mine, God brings life from death. Listen to the words of of, of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you've been saved and and by grace you've been saved and god raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so from what was dead, God brought life according to his promise, both in, in the life of Abraham and Sarah, but also in your life and mine if we've come to faith in Christ. So verses 1 and 2 say the Lord visited, visited the Lord did as he promised. It's all about God himself and his word and his purpose and his plan. You've heard the word sovereignty. I've thrown that word out quite a bit. Sovereignty is what we see here. It's the sovereignty of God at work in their lives. God has a plan, and he has the power and the will to accomplish his plan just as he promised. You know, some people don't like the idea of sovereignty. They don't want to be under the rule of anyone. They certainly don't like the saying, there is a God, and you're not him. That they want to be their own God, and, and people refuse to acknowledge that there's a God because if you acknowledge that God is real, then you also are bound to acknowledge that you're accountable to God. And that's not what man wants from the very beginning, and you see it in the garden with Adam and Eve. From the very beginning, we wanted autonomy, but when you achieve autonomy, when you achieve self-rule, when you, ref- you refuse to bow to the sovereign God, you actually lose free will because you become a slave to sin. You're not in this life going to be autonomous. You're either going to be a slave to Christ or a slave to sin. And if you do what's right in your own eyes because you believe you're autonomous and you follow a program or you follow a path that is set up by your fallen nature and that path will lead to your destruction. We're under the sovereignty of God and, and you actually have more freedom in God's sovereignty than you will ever have as a slave to sin. And so we see here that God in his sovereignty, it's 25 years later, but God in his sovereignty has worked his plan in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Look at verses three and four. It says that Abraham names his son Isaac as God had commanded. And then it says that Abraham circumcises his son when he's eight days old. Why? Because that's what God commanded. And there's an important principle here. It had to be painful for Abraham to inflict pain on his infant son. You, have you ever taken a child to, to the doctor, to a clinic, and, and you had to hold that kicking, screaming child down where a shot was given or some procedure was done? You know, at least you had the option of making the doctor or nurse the bad guy, right? No, here, Abraham was the one who inflicted pain on his son. And he was doing exactly as the Lord commanded Isaac was a child of promise. Isaac was a child of the covenant. He had to be under the sign of the covenant. What I'm trying to say to you here, the important principle is this. Nothing takes precedence over the word of God. Nothing takes precedence. No one takes precedence over the word of God. Nothing is more important than obedience to the commands of God in his word. But listen, sometimes obedience is painful. I spoke with a friend this week who He knew when he called me. He knew what the Word of God said he needed to do, but he was struggling because if he followed through in obedience to the Word of God, he had some concern that some folks were going to be hurt by it. But he still had to do it. He still had to follow through. Nothing takes precedence over the Word of God. Look in verse 5. I'll just mention this very quickly. It's just another mention that Abraham is 100 years old. You know, when you, when you think about the story of Abraham and Sarah, you think, oh, that's cool, these old people had a baby. Listen, he was 100 years old. <laughs> she was 90. Don't forget that. In fact, Sarah asked in verse 7, who would have imagined? Who indeed? No, Nobody. But for those who are obedient to the Father, for those who trust and wait on him, he does more than we can imagine. Obedience will always bring blessing. I thought about when Sarah asked who could have imagined, I thought about 1 Corinthians 2 9, where Paul said this, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has a heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus said, if we love him, we keep his commandments and we obey. So I'm going to say this morning, God's incredible blessings come for those who love him and who obey him. And let that be a great word of encouragement to you from the life of Abraham and Sarah of how important obedience is and how much God shows his favor on our obedience. Scene two, look down in verses eight through 21. Speaking of Isaac, it says, and the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham laughing." So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring." So Abraham rose early in the morning, he took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with her child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Now God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up, he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, we don't know exactly how much time passed between verse 7 and verse 8. Verse 8 tells us Abraham was having a feast, a big celebration that the boy had been, been weaned, talking about Isaac. Typically, uh, in this day, a child was weaned around the age of three. Now, remember from chapter um, 16, Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. He was 100 uh, in this chapter. He was 100 when Isaac was born. So, Ishmael was 14 when Isaac was born. This is approximately three years later, three years have passed. So now he is 17. Now, any time an only child suddenly has to welcome a sibling, you, you can expect that there's probably going to be fireworks. Ishmael had had the the complete uh, attention of Abraham and Sarah before Isaac was born. And now for three years, he's watched Abraham and especially Sarah dote on his younger brother Isaac. Ishmael also knows his position in the family. He's a child of the slave woman, child of disobedience, a child of, of compromise. Isaac is a child of promise. And so for three years, these storm clouds have been building in Ishmael's spirit, and now the storm erupts at what was supposed to be a very festive occasion and a time of great joy. Anyone here ever noticed that the drama most often occurs and the kids most often act out at a family celebration when there's a lot of other people around? It happens, doesn't it? And that's exactly what's happening in the scene here. Verse 9 says, Sarah sees Ishmael laughing. You know, Isaac's name meant to laugh. Initially, it was that Sarah and Abraham both laughed, thinking there's no way God could pull this off. But then his name meant that God had caused laughter to come into their lives because of this miracle he had done. His, his name means to laugh. But this word here is a much more intense form of the verb and it means to, to mock or to make sport of. It's, it's not a friendly laughter, if you will. And I believe Sarah has never been happy for the previous 17 years of day after day after day seeing a reminder of her disobedient mistake 17 years prior. But this pushes her over the top. And so what does she do? She tells Abraham, you need to get rid of your son Ishmael and his wife, Hagar. Look at verse 11. It says this was displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. I like the clarity of the Holman translation. Now, this was a difficult thing for Abraham because of his son. Which son? Ishmael. Ishmael was his son. Ishmael was a a son born of his own body. Ishmael was his firstborn. And Abraham had had spent incredible time with this boy investing in his life. It's his son. The Hebrew word here that's translated displeasing is really quite strong. Yahweh means broken up. It suggests that something is, is happening. Some course of action is very grievous. And so Scripture's telling us Abraham's heart is broken. Now let's go back. You remember that it was Sarah that suggested he sleep with her servant. Then it was Sarah after he slept with her servant and she became pregnant and there was tension. It was Sarah that told Abraham, this mess is all your fault. Now he's caught in the middle again. Abraham loves Sarah deeply. He's overjoyed to have this three-year-old Isaac tottering around throughout the tent compound there. But he loved Ishmael. He invested in Ishmael. He raised Ishmael to to manhood. Soon he would be in the process of arranging a marriage for Ishmael, getting him situated in in, in the camp there and watching him grow his own family. But at the same time he knew this conflict would destroy his family and life would be intolerable don't you know that Abraham is kicking himself over his prior sin did God forgive Abraham for having a child with Hagar absolutely God was still working in his life. Abraham was still God's man. He was still the father of faith. He was the one through whom an entire nation would come and that nation would be used to bless all peoples. God forgave his sin, but there were still consequences. And we need to understand that God typically doesn't remove consequences. If there's been sin in your past and you've confessed that and you've repented, Scripture's clear. If we confess he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he separates our sin from us as far as the East is from the West. He forgives our sin for his own sake because of his desire for relation with us. For certain God forgives and God cleanses. But if there's still consequences in your life, please don't think that God is still holding that against you. God doesn't always remove consequences. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. You know, if there weren't consequences to sin, we probably wouldn't see a lot of true repentance. Repentance is a change in course, a change in action, and pain certainly promotes that. The pain of consequences says, how's that working out for you? You say, well, but but I've repented from that sin, and I've been forgiven. Why doesn't God now remove the consequences? If you knew that God was always going to remove the consequences, wouldn't you be tempted to sin and not worry about it? No, the consequences, even from past sin that you no longer commit, can help you avoid future sin because you remember that sin brings pain. So Abraham is having to live with these consequences. Fortunately, we can see here that he certainly gained some wisdom on his journey of faith. Twenty-five years earlier, when Sarah suggested that they be their own solution to the fulfillment of the promise, Abraham simply went along. Here, this time, he seeks the Lord's counsel. He wants to be obedient to the will of God. And you see in verse 12 that God, it's clear Abraham has sought God because God comes and tells Abraham, listen, don't be distressed. Do what Sarah has said. Isaac is the child of promise. But still, it seems incredibly unfair, doesn't it? Hagar became pregnant by Abraham simply because it's what her mistress told her to do. She was a slave. She was doing what the master had said to do. And Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah lacked faith. Hagar is the innocent party in this, but that's a sad reality. Innocent people suffer the consequences of our sins. That should be another checkpoint for us when we're tempted. Not only are we going to suffer, but innocent people in our lives are going to suffer as well. God does not explain here why Hagar and Ishmael are to be put out. He, He doesn't have to. Not knowing why doesn't make him unjust or unfair. There are times we simply have to trust him and and we have to obey his will and to remember that he is sovereign. He has a perfect plan and purpose and he has both the power and the will to carry out his plan and purpose and bring it to fulfillment. And so when you find yourself in one of those moments where God has called you to obey but it, it doesn't make sense, You may remember the words that God gave the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Seems harsh that God would allow this, but he had a plan and purpose in it. You see in verse 13, he comforts Abraham in his distress by letting him in on Ishmael's future. He's going to make a nation out of Ishmael. And if he's going to make a nation out of Ishmael, then we know that Ishmael and Hagar are going to be protected for and provided for. And so scripture tells us Abraham gets up early, he gives him bread and water, he sends them away. Can you imagine the heartbreak for Abraham? E- even having the assurance the Lord had given him regarding Ishmael, it was hard to imagine this, this turning out well. And when you're walking with the Lord, but you find yourself in the fog of a difficult situation, it's probably a good idea to remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by what? Say it again. Faith. faith. We walk by faith, not sight. You know, you read, I wish I had time to read it again. You read this description of Hagar wandering in the wilderness in verses 14 through 19. It, it's, it's a pretty striking metaphor for some single parents. Regardless of the cause of your situation, you, you wound up on your own with an innocent child or, or, or children depending on you. And you may feel like you're, you're wandering aimlessly in the wilderness with, with no one to count on. Survival's a constant struggle because there's never enough provision for, for the need. There's too little provision, too many needs, and you, you feel totally alone, wandering. You have to care for yourself and for your children with no one to help carry the load. I want to say to you this morning, if that's where you are, you're not alone. God sees and hears you. God heard the boy. God spoke to Hagar. God opened her eyes. I I don't doubt that Hagar's life was, was still hard and she and Ishmael still struggled, but she knew she was not alone. God was with her. God took care of them. God protected. God provided. You may be sitting here this morning or online listening and say, well, I'm not seeing that in my life. How does God do that today? I want to tell you how God does that today through this church. If you're a single parent and this description is 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 just dead on with where you are today. We want to be there for you. I'll, I'll give you one example. Just a few weeks ago, this church body gave over $60,000 on one Sunday, over and above their regular giving. This church body gave $60,000 just to meet needs in the body. And we met not only the needs that day, but we're able to set aside some funds so that if you have need, you simply need to come. We We want to take care of you. We would not say to you, if you're struggling today, and that's anybody, not just single moms and dads, but especially if you're a single parent, you're struggling today, we wouldn't say to you, hey, go be warmed and filled, good luck to you. No, we would say to you, we want to help you. We want to step in. Well, let's wrap up chapter 21 with one final scene here. I'm not going to read. You can follow along in verses 22 to 34. Abraham has... Uh, Another encounter with Abimelech. You remember Abimelech from last week? Abraham still had that propensity to lie whenever he felt threatened. Well, they have another encounter. This one's much more positive. Abimelech has seen the hand of God on the life of Abraham, so he comes to him and he wants to make a covenant or treaty to live together harmoniously. And while they're having that discussion, Abraham confronts Abimelech about a well that his men had dug that the king, Abimelech, his servants, had, had seized. And they're able to reach an agreement. And at the end of that encounter, Abraham does what he frequently does. He, when, when he sees, when he acknowledges the hand of God, he memorializes that encounter. If you look down in verse 33, it says that he planted a tamarisk tree. That, that's a tree that's able to thrive in the wilderness just as Abraham did. But he planted this tree, and it says there, he called on the name of the Lord, and this is the first time this is used in scripture, the eternal God. eternal God. That's an important name for us. Why is that? Well, God is eternally the same. The theological term would be he's immutable. He's not capable of being mutated. He's not capable of being changed. He is eternal. He is changeless. Everything around us may change, but God never changes that's why we don't worry about the circumstances around us that's why we don't worry about who's in control that's why we don't worry about any of the issues we face because God never changes he is perfect and perfection can't be improved he is faithful he is true his words are true he is truth he never changes he testified about himself in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 I the Lord do not change So whatever you're facing today, let's remember that you and I follow the God of Abraham, who's the eternal God. And so as we're on this journey of faith, we'll experience his protection, we'll experience his provision. And as we're careful to be obedient to him, we will be blessed beyond measure. Your eye has never seen, your ear has never heard. You can't in in your heart and mind even imagine What God has for you, if you love Him, obey Him, and walk with Him.